Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio-podcast. Hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists... Today on The Microscopists, I'm talking to Florian Jug, research group leader and head of image analysis facility at the Human Technopole Milan. And we hear about his research using AI to better analyse and quantify biological data. Deep learning will, in, in, in general, machine learning and like statistical analysis will play a very important role. And I think, yeah, I, I can't wait. We discuss his passion for teaching courses across the globe. Uh, because I'm not in a university, so I don't have to do any teaching. And if you're not forced to do something, then maybe it becomes more attractive. I'm not sure. The whole endeavor is built on use, building useful things for people. And we chat about his early ambitions in computer science. I was already coding at home. And we were moving quite a lot. Um, so there were always uh, years where I didn't have a huge amount of friends yet. And that was great times to be friends with my computer. <laughs> All in this episode of The Microscopists. Hi, welcome to the Microscopies. I'm Peter O'Toole from the University of York. And today I'm joined by Florian Jug, who is head of image analysis facility at the Human Technopole in Milan. And Florian, I'm going to start head of an image analysis facility. Yes, that's correct. That's half my job. I'm also running a research group. We do more basic research in deep learning and machine learning on bioimage data. And then there's also the facility part as well. Because I, I think that's extraordinary to actually have an image analysis facility. I, I, if people have listened to this podcast in the past, you'd have heard how image analysis is the next big thing. And now we actually have Florian, who's actually has a facility for image analysis, which I think is really uh, forward looking, I would say. How did yeah, you that's a good. That, that's a good thing when you, when a new institute starts, uh, that you can kind of um, break with habits and do something new. And I was also very lucky that my ideas were received very positively. And I I pitched it like this: it, it is nice to do basic science on new methods, but then bringing them to people is really hard. And in a facility, you can you can directly work with people that have problems, which is also good and informative for the basic research side of things. And then in order to make this all happen, we have actually a middle guild, which are research software engineers. And they are very little spoken about, very hard to find and extremely important to have. And so we, we have a number of people that know how to build research, build usable open source software and kind of they take what we do, but also what other groups do and, and give it as useful tools to our users. So I, I, I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, I have a question. Who wants to work in an image analysis facility? What, what type of individual is it that you're having in there? Um, I think there is in almost every light microscopy facility is at least one or two people that are almost working in an image analysis facility, just that it's not officially instantiated, but there are always like some Fiji gurus or some other kind of processing inclined people that help the customers also to kind of deal with 
yeah, all kinds of data analysis issues. And we just, yeah, instantiated it on paper. And we work very tight with the light imaging facility at Human Technopore. But yeah, I think the more complicated data gets, the more important it is that you have more dedicated time to really think about what is a good pipeline for a given problem. And so we have this time now. I, I, I think it's brilliant. I, and the reason I guess I was asking, you've got your research group, which I guess is researching into, well, you tell us, what is your research group researching? Um, okay, at the moment we do a lot of um, denoising and image restoration methods with machine learning. Um, we do a bit of segmentation, we do a bit of tracking, and, and that is, the image restoration part is successful enough that it occupies a lot of our minds, but I would not say that this is what I'm doing. So I might very well uh, uh, go into different directions. Also at the Human Technopole, um, it's not the most microscopy heavy community. There's lots of genetics and genomics and uh, structural biology. So that is microscopy heavy, but, but much higher rest with uh, a lot of electron microscopy techniques. And so I'm very keen also in growing into this new community and maybe opening new new uh, research directions that are maybe even not image-based, but more sequence-based. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think data's actually start, the data from these different technology aspects like genomics, metabolomics, imaging are increasingly coming together anyway. So I think the analysis side of that is going to become uh, really important uh, mm -hmm. and, and not easy, really. Conceptually, no, very easy, but practically yeah. really difficult. And there's a lot of, it's very easy to speak about it and it's very easy to see that it will be a thing. And it ain't quite the thing yet, right? So um, multimodal data analysis, it's really hard to, how to combine different modalities, mainly if it is imaging modalities and non-imaging modalities. And, but I think it will, the time will come. And deep learning will, in, in, in general, machine learning and like statistical analysis will play a very important role. And I think, yeah, I, I can't wait. So and you're a, a relatively new, relatively young PI of a, for a research group. And you're, you're in a relatively new institute as well. Yes, yes. So how, how are you finding that? Well, you know, what, what excites you? What brought you to the human technopole? Oh, many, many things. Um, first of all, I'm in a relationship with another scientist. So we have to deal with all the kind of real world problems of uh, waking up in the same uh, room and at the same time also finding a job that gives us the opportunity to do science on a really, you know, like professional uh, international level. Um, so we were lucky enough that uh, so Gaia is very successful on her own and uh, we were lucky to find a few things that also uh, used quite a lot. So I think we made a great package and uh, the human technopole was looking for somebody taking care of the EM side of things. And so Gaia was really good there. And uh, after I pitched my ideas, it turned out that they were also really interested in giving me a fantastic package. 
actually unbelievable. I would not have to write grants and could have a group of 10 people. Um, wow. Yeah, and, and that's an opportunity that it's, it's not really good. My wife is also Italian, so going back to Italy and was a, was a positive as well for us. Ah, no, I didn't know your wife was Italian. And a group, a group of 10 is, is obviously a very big, uh, a big space. Almost, almost too large. Yeah, yeah it, it, I would not. My desire is to, to stick to group size up to 10 and, or smaller, at least for now. I presume that means you can start really exploring very different areas of image analysis or data analysis, not just image analysis, obviously. So I guess that's a good thing. And as a group matures, you'll have that support under you. To it's, develop I mean, it's, not a, it's not a research group of 10. It's, it's 10 over the three different sections that should not feel like three sections. We'd like to feel like a, a group of friends doing things together. But there is like the more basic science with PhD students and postdocs. And then there is the research of the engineering and the facility. So if with a flat prior, it means like three, three, and three plus me. And then each individual segment is, you know, not overly, overly large. But still, we can explore a lot of things. Because the PhD students don't have to worry about like coding things that people can use because there is people that do that and and the facility can really concentrate on taking the tools and also requesting the creation of useful modules that they can then use and bring to our customers. I, I like the way you demarcate into three distinct areas and and I know from my side the importance of that but you also perceive that as being quite important that they have their 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 badges that they wear in the technical yeah yeah the badges is like the feeling of responsibility and ownership of what and purpose right um i really do not care if they sit segregated or you know it should really feel like a, a group of people that have their purpose and uh together capable of doing more than they would be without the others but I, i'd be guessing that if uh if someone wanted some image analysis support, mm -hmm. they know who they're going to and they have a, an expectation. Whereas if there isn't a solution, they go to the other group and they would help. And it's a different endpoint expectation, different delivery time expectation, maybe. Yes. It's also a different, um, it's also a really different type of job. So in, in the research group, the idea is that to pursue an academic career. So you want to publish well, you want to do something that is also uh, well perceived by the machine learning or computer vision community, which is not, you have to jump through some hoops sometimes to publish papers. You have to also apply it to some real world data on faces or on, on street scenes to be reviewed favorably. And uh, and the research software engineers, uh, sometimes people that have a PhD but don't want to be a PI, have an incredible skill set. And so they also look for a more stable job situation. So I am actually capable of offering long-term positions. So and I the facility people are very similar. Also, also the, the people that really speak with our, with our biologists that, that receive new projects um, are also typically um, 
not at the age of a PhD student anymore, and and and, and they seek some kind of amount of ability to settle into a, a longer term life situation. I think that's a really good point. I I've met resistance uh, myself thinking about similar posts, uh, sort of around the data science side. That why would you stay in academia for that salary when you can go because of the skill sets they have, they can easily go to industry, to their commercial markets, the money markets, banking markets, and make a lot of a lot more money than they can in science. But and yet it's it, my argument there is academics stay in the academic world but they could go off similarly into industry and make more money but it's i think it's a freedom the the way that you have some not so you have some influence over where your work goes even within the facility itself you have some influence of how you bring users in and you're doing primary they're still helping primary research they're still helping yeah. solve your cancers your stem cell research your ecological research they're still having all those impacts, but with a absolutely. A yeah, this is really the the ideal the ideal candidate really really um, buys into the mission of supporting the life sciences to do a better job. It could be uh, uh, creating methods and tools and creating interactions and collaborations that help to make the most out of the available data and. Uh, it's really hard, mainly in the research arm of things, where our I would like to hire postdocs that could very well go to Google or Amazon or Facebook. And and these jobs are not boring. There's very interesting problems to be solved and the starting um, salary is most likely an integral multiple of what I can offer. And so I have zero postdocs at the moment. Uh, in the research side of things, and I would, uh, if if a, if a skilled postdoc that has a mission that says like I would like to solve this problem in the life sciences, would come and pitch this idea. If I don't think it's a flawed idea, I would give one hundred percent freedom. And still, it's very hard to find people because there's so so much need for for good machine learner, for good deep learner, for this kind of skill set at the moment because it's such a hyped topic. I, I was going to say, be patient because you know they exist. Well, you exist and you've come through that route. You know, it's, right. it's there. So I'm going to take you back, actually. Okay, I'm going to take you back to childhood times. Uh-huh. Uh, when you were young, 10, 12, what did you want to be career wise? Um, I was not decided, but I knew that computer science is absolutely amazing. I was already coding at home and we were moving quite a lot. Um, so there were always uh, years where I didn't have a huge amount of friends yet. And that was great times to be friends with my computer. <laughs> it sounds so sad, but it was really a good time. I didn't regret it. Right? Um, and then it kind of was interleaved with times where I did have lots of friends and where I went out a lot and where I was not a pure nerd. Sorry, yeah, playing. Um, um, so that I will end up what I do now was not planned very, from very early. So, so when did you realize? So you're into your coding. Uh, my my son's a computer scientist with maths, and I, I, who knows where he'll end up uh, 
he's he's getting there now. I think he knows where he wants to go. But your firm, what was your degree in? Is that computer science? Uh, I, studied, I studied computer science and I have a minor in logic and philosophy of science. And that was in Munich, is that correct? Yes. And then, and then you went on to, ah, I've got to get this right now. Is it informatics and management? I've done my research. No, I, uh, from Munich, I went um, to Zurich and I was joining a group that does a lot of discrete mathematics um, and extreme properties of random graphs. Don't ask what it is. I mean, I could explain it, but you wouldn't want to know. Uh, <laughs> but in this group, I started doing computational neuroscience in collaboration with the Institute for Neuroinformatics in Zurich. And that was, uh, that was exactly what I wanted to do. And I was kind of the... The scientific hobby of my of my doctor mother, of my supervisor, um, but with collaborators at the Institute for Neuroinformatics, I had really really um, good partners to learn and think a lot about how neural networks, how small computing devices that by themselves are very limited in their capabilities in a network can become uh, so capable. And I I loved every day of my more than five year PhD. But after five years, I looked back and asked myself, how much did I really learn about our brains? And it was so little that I expected that it would have to be like 700 years to make a real dent. <laughs> and then I, I switched. Oh, they are complicated beasts, aren't they, as brains? You've been in Germany, Switzerland, now in Italy. But I also know you. So, well, actually, at the moment, you're where, God, where are you at the moment? Oh, at the moment, I'm in, in Woodsall uh, at the MBL because we it's the, actually the last day of a two-week deep learning course that teaching four microscopists um, to, yeah, to help them kind of understand this new technology and how to maybe use them on their own in the future to help their own analysis. Yeah, and, and you have a T-shirt to go with it. So go, show, go Oh, yeah, but this T-shirt is actually, uh, you can see here, it's... Uh, and then on the back, ah. we have the back focal plane. And um, that is not from this course. This is from a microscopy course where I'm uh, in the lucky position to also teach every spring in Core Spring Harbor. And we acquired this on a, on a scope that we built with the students. Wow. So wait, so wait a minute. So you're, you're in Woods Hole now. You go to Cold Spring Harbor. I know you do the EMBL course well because... Uh, Laura Wiggins, my PhD student, who uh, with me came to what met you right at the start of her PhD. It's a lot. Of, why do you do so much teaching? Uh, because I'm not in a university, so I don't have to do any teaching. And if you're not forced to do something, then maybe it becomes more attractive. I'm not sure. No, I actually I do a lot of teaching because it is really a lot of fun. And uh, the whole endeavor is built on use, building useful things for people. And how would I know what is useful for people if I would not speak with people? And this is a good way to, to get this, to understand what are open problems, what do people struggle with. But at the same time, it's, it's also just a huge amount of fun to, to teach in places where really motivated students go, where you have you know this like can-do spirit, the unbroken young, love for science it's amazing i love it 
Yeah, I, I think think you're right. Actually, if you think about undergraduate lecturing, uh, yeah, they choose a course, but they don't necessarily think that each module is perfect for them. So they're not all 100% engaged. Whereas the courses you're running, people are volunteering or even paying to go on because they want to learn that speciality. So so it is, and and ultimately, I I know from Laura when she came back, they're inspirational for the students. Uh, it, it enables them to step up. So, so watch out for her work. Uh, also in segmentation and tracking, uh, but something yes. different is missing at the moment. So, looking uh, forward. I was a student actually at MBL in 2015 for the physiology course, which is a seven-week course. And you start at nine in the morning, and you know you have downtimes. It's it's, it's but seven weeks is a long time, and you get to know the other people really well. And um, it, it was yeah, it was transformative. Uh, courses in, in like Kohlsping Harbor or here in Woods Hole, uh, yeah, you, you cannot be the same after the course. You will be different. No, no so actually I did an EMBL course, EMBO course at EMBL back in 2001, and that was very much career inspiring with Timo Zimmerman. And actually, I think Ricardo Henriquez was at that yeah. course as well as a student. Uh, so I, I don't mm. think I, he was in different, a different group, but I think we were at the same course together which we hadn't realized at the time yeah ricardo runs actually an embo course next month in portugal and i will also be be there for it. Uh, it, it uh, yeah they, they, they're just brilliant and thank you for actually running them so there we have it that's where you started that's where you got to where do you see yourself heading um okay i'm the first time in a situation where i actually could stay physically in Milano for many years to come. If that will happen or not, God knows. Um, the whole um, facility plus basic research thing is, is a bit of an experiment. There's very few. I don't know if anybody else that has a similar setup. Um, I hope that this uh, will prove to be extremely productive and fruitful. And then... And then that might be something that is enjoyable for a long time. Or I grow out of it and would like to maybe make it help other people to do similar things and, and help help the community to instantiate more this model more often in different places. I'm not sure. So you never um, attempted into industry? Oh, it was attempting many times. But then I think I got protected from jumping into a better paid job the opportunity to actually have weekends by being married to an biologist. Uh, you're telling me you get weekends? No, I would have gotten weekends if I would have jumped into industry in the uh, industry job. Right? But so I do have weekends. It's just there's always more to do, right? And I have a bit of an addictive personality and I really like what I'm doing and I like to do it well. And so science can be a very time-filling hobby. So, yeah, good term to use, uh, a, a job-fulfilling hobby. Uh, you know, so it shouldn't feel like work. You know, sometimes it does because there's always the... The stuff you have to do alongside it. So it's good to hear, you know, yes, you might do it at the weekend. It might intrude. It's not intruding because it's what you like to do. So thinking of hobbies, 
what other hobbies do you have besides science? I, I run a lot. I like running a lot. Uh, um, uh, uh, what distance would you like me to run? <laughs> <laughs> oh, go, go on. Let, what's your typical training week and what's, what's your biggest events? Um, it, it really depends. At the moment, I run maybe between 50 and 80 kilometers a week. Um, that, there is times where I run less, but there are certainly also times where I run much more. And my goals are anywhere between a fast 10K, which is actually really painful to train for, or a very slow and relaxed 24-hour race, oh. or 100K race. Okay, so so I, I, I see now. Now you're at. I am very similar. <laughs> my latest, oh, yeah? my latest medal just there is a is a twenty four hour run. Amazing! Yeah, I did only one, but it was actually really a lot of fun. Also, the preparation is is really interesting because you have to really get to know yourself and ask yourself what might I crave, what might I be able to digest and want yeah. to eat and not vomit. <laughs> Uh, or have other problems which which I encountered actually how far did you cover in the 24 hours uh, too little to be proud of 140 something 141 or so kilometers so maybe maybe you should come over and we should do this one which is just down the road for, not far from here uh, our target was 100 miles yeah so, I, I of course also wanted to do 100 miles but I, I kicked the stone really hard in the first marathon and then the second marathon, I thought it's, it's, I just kicked the stone. But I think I, I, I compensated for the ankle that hurt a bit. And then just everything fell apart. It was very painful at the end. And then in the, in the night, it started raining and everything. Everybody went to bed. And then, and then I, I was not strong enough to stay awake. So I went to bed for like two and a no! half hours. Oh, yeah, no. It's, it's a shame. Oh, no. But I, you know, the hip started hurting, the knee started hurting, and, and everybody was at bed. And then there was the rain. And uh, in one loop, I, I didn't take the right turn that I took like 40 times before. And I went straight on for half a mile. I was like, oh, I go to bed. Florian, but then I regretted it very much. Yeah, you and, have and, to and, do and, another because. Yeah, I have to do another. It's true. For our 24, we, we never. We didn't stop. We, 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 we grabbed some food and drink, but it was lap after lap. And I don't think once uh, between me and my running partner, we running together. So we solo. Not once did it cross our minds that we were going to stop. And my friend and... unfortunately got really injured very oh. near the end. And wow, he pained it through for the last yeah. lap and a half. We, we, lap and a half is still seven and a half. So it's, it's still 12, 13 K. And it was slow going, but we got there. We and we ticked hundred miles within the twenty-four hours. It was a uh... congratulations. Yeah, I'm a bit. Yeah, it is. It is nagging that I didn't do the hundred miles, and I certainly. And I think I was in shape to do it. Um, Next year. Yeah. Maybe. I, 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 it also... will kill me if I did it, but try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how Gaia would react. I think it's okay. I think she understands. Uh... Yeah. And it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. I also trained this, this spring for a really nice race in, 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 in Toscany, 105, but, but 10,000 feet of climbing. And I got Corona two weeks before it. Ah, 
So you didn't run it? Horribly. You didn't I run it? No, I, I couldn't. No. Yeah, because it does take it. Yeah, it's not. I, I ran on Corona, but short distance is only. Um, yeah, I, I was lying in bed for like 10 days. And it was two days after. And it's not the best tapering to not do anything. No. I, I didn't do it. I was also anxious. I, did, I didn't know how I would react. And, and then I, I would be too headstrong to stop even if I would feel something and I, I was not sure if this is a good idea. So I didn't do it. But I'm in great shape now. <laughs> which, which is good. It's the only consolation. I was meant to do the 24-hour run last year, but I broke my ankle the Monday before it. Oh, my God. <laughs> so all that training. And it's insane training, isn't it? It's, it's so much discipline all out the window like that. But we were back. Anyway, moving on. What other hobbies do you have? Uh, I... I really like to do pottery. And even hobbies for us, they really come in phases. At the moment, it's a pottery high. And then there's photography, which is at the moment at the almost all-time low. So um, you have a picture, I think, of your pottery. So oh, yeah, I do. To, to um, flash that on your, your, your background for us and tell it. Because surely this is your photography and your pottery together if you took the picture. Yeah, I took the picture, but yeah, with an iPhone. But I, I do like taking taking pictures and it, it's a really beautiful way to kind of share your way of seeing things. So let me see the background and effects. And then here we go. Ah, oh, do you know, it really does. Honestly, I can now see it in large. It looks like a naan bread. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it, is, it is really, I like this, this doing these things because you you want to control the shape of the object very precisely and then you glaze it and you put it in a wood firing kiln where you have very little control of how the texture would evolve and how it will get out so you kind of combine your uh, unreasonable desire to control the world around you with the willingness to give your precious piece into a very uncontrollable uh, final process, process and we fired the kiln ourselves which was the first so we were like uh, it's a five-day process there's like more than two days of of stoking the kiln which is the oven um this is also why people say i'm stoked because you're kind of fired up i learned and uh, it's 1300 degrees celsius which is a huge uh, temperature to reach only with burning wood so yeah, it's amazing. And is that a, do you have your own kiln if you stoked it yourself? Or is it somewhere else you did it? We do have a kiln, but it's an electric kiln that we can, it's more electric kiln for at home. And this uh, wood firing kilns, yeah, they are beasts. I mean, you need a big garden. But I, I, we have this plan. We are currently in the process of kind of buying a house. And it would come with a, enough garden that we could probably put a kiln in there and disguise it as a pizza oven, which is much more uh, tolerated in Italy than having a kiln <laughs> in I, the I, garden. You've probably beaten me to it, because I was thinking if I had a kiln like that, when I finish with it, I'm throwing, I'm throwing my pizza in it, because that would be, what, one minute from start to end, and that would burn. Yeah, I guess it would be a minute from start to not existing anymore it's it's yeah, brutal it's so hard. 100 degrees is brutal you open the the stoking hole where you throw the, the wood in and it's you're like a meter 50 away and it's like 
the devil is licking your face. It's it's so strong. You have no notion of it. It's incredible. Wow. So how long have you been doing pottery for? I started doing my PhD in Zurich before I went to Dresden. So it's a long-term hobby then. It's not, it's, yeah, it's like, not, you say it goes in waves and cyclic, but this is quite a long cycle. Yeah, 12 years. We are in maybe cycle four. <laughs> so does that mean you've gone out of pottery and back into pottery over that time? Yeah, 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 absolutely. What got you into it? Um, there was a sign next to the street that said pottery lessons. And Gaia said, pottery lessons. And then I thought, oh, she responds well to pottery lessons. That might be a good present for her. And so I gave her, yeah, we went to these pottery lessons for a long time. Actually, it was, if I say pottery lessons, you imagine 20 people following a teacher's voice. It was a, a really, a really capable potter. And she would open her studio for a bunch of scientists. And it was, it was delightful. To be there with like there was a professor for neuroscience and and the postdocs and a few phd students we were usually like maybe seven people and and the artist was an amazing personality and very capable but the thing she was certainly not was a teacher so we we would just do what we wanted and only when we did something that that she found offensive i guess she would say like why don't you try to do this it was very it was very nice so it's good networking as well again very useful I'm going to bring you back into science for a bit we'll come back out in a moment so obviously you're into denoising images Uh, you've done quite a lot into Fiji and different plugins I usually ask a guest what's their favorite publication I'm going to ask you in your case what is your favorite bit of software that you've let yeah opened up to the community do you have a favorite? Yes, I think so. Um, I think Noise to Void. Um, one of the denoising tools. I, I really like it. I, I think the idea is very elegant and very simple. Um, and it's extremely useful. I, I really get a lot of kick out of doing things that are, are beautiful from a computer science and computational standpoint. But it's really different level if it is also useful and people start using it and i think most of what is used quite a lot and how long did it take to develop that it was not so dramatic um i mean we still develop it in some sense it it had a whole like slur of like you know versions and but from the the idea was brought to me by a postdoc at the time, Alexander Kohl. Um, he, he looked at the care work, which came before that did image restoration. And he was like, but we don't need ground truth. We can do that self We can just take a body of noisy data and, and figure out how to, how to denoise it. If the noise is pixel independent with short noise and voice or, so short noise and, and Gaussian noise and without noise. Is. And from the moment where I said, nah, are you sure? To the moment where we published was maybe five months. Wow, that's really and, fun. Yeah. So, okay, so if that's five months for your favorite bit from start to end, you sort of mentioned sometimes it's the simple ideas. What's the longest project you've worked on that you thought would be really good, but actually maybe maybe haven't actually got to the end yet, uh, uh, to a point that you can actually publish it in some way? 
Uh, my PhD thesis, certainly, but that is a different topic. Uh, and in the in the bioimage analysis arena, in as a postdoc, I worked a lot on tracking. And uh, I know the the field and the problems very well. And I think we have wonderful solutions worked out. And then we never and then care happened. So Martin Weigert at the time had this wonderful idea of using units to do image restoration. And and it was immediately clear that this is so obvious somebody will do it soon, but why not doing it quick ourselves? And it lifted off much crazier than we ever expected. Um, and from that time on, image restoration was a huge um, time sink i wanted to say but of course it, it, it was a beautiful thing as well right but but a lot of of the group the young group it was the idea was born just before i opened the group so i was still doing it in gene myers's lab mm -hmm. uh, together with martin and uwe schmidt and a thousand other people that gave us data um, and that kind of pushed the tracking away and only now i have a first student again and we want to look into tracking a bit more and i'm actually excited that it comes back but but it's here right it's five years or something. I, I think it's just fascinating i think uh, if any if any phds or lay audience are listening that sometimes some you have a great idea but it can be really hard work to get to the end and then something else can come in so simply and get to get to fruition really fast it, it's just yeah. science is it's just an almost you can't predict how long something can take in science. It's really complicated. You know these machines where you, where, you, where you throw quarters or whatever country you are in, coins in, and they fall on this like uh, platform and there's a small thing that kind of shifts them in front and then they are like at the, at the edge and they are like, yeah. it cannot be more than one coin until it falls, right? It's like, it's there, come on, give me one coin, give me a coin. And you try and they fit more and more coins and it just doesn't fall off. And I think science is a bit like that because noise to void would not have happened in in this short period of time if there was if it was not built on top of a lot of thoughts and thinking and coins that did not fall off the edge right i love that analogy because as you say sometimes you put your coin in and nothing comes out but you keep going because you can see the big prize and sometimes you put coins in and you'll get one coin back or maybe you'll get a few coins back <clears throat> and you think no i'm not stopping yet i'm going to keep yeah. putting because i can see the big prize that I think and that's a really useful analogy because there comes a point if you keep waiting for the big prize that sometimes never comes, that data never gets shared. That work, that research never gets shared. So there's a point where you have to publish, uh, release the work. Uh, and as you say, what you've done with uh, some of the denoise and stuff is you then keep on iterating and polishing it. You don't wait for the, the perfect solution because ultimately the perfect, I guess in your case especially, the perfect solution is honed by the people who pick up your software and use it and feedback. Yep, I fully so, agree. Science is such a weird thing, right? It's it's kind of it's a search algorithm. We search for things that were unknown before and unknown now. Or in 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 my metier, it's also finding things that enable looking at data in different ways or kind of make 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 your life easier to discover things hidden in microscopy data or hidden in data in general and it's so weirdly implemented on on a social community 
and it's it pays off to be persistent and bang your head against the problem even if it resists at first but there is also problems that will resist forever and i think it's a really delicate balance do you go on or or do you kind of realize that it will not happen <clears throat> and if you if you do that too fast then you will never penetrate very deep because you will kind of try 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 and and usually it's not it's never super easy right so you need to persist it we would call it branch and bounce in computer science right you branch into different ideas and then you bound the ones that are hopeless but what is hopeless right the, the solution might be just one sort of way so, and then there's the importance of having multiple branches and not just I think so. one route because as you say some things don't work so one of the reasons that so much of your work has been so widely adopted is a lot of it is freeware you know you, you put it out open uh, yeah. open access to what you're developing why did you choose that route over binding it up and selling it onto one of the big companies as a, a, a commercial product um it's uh, that's a really good question okay there's so many thoughts how do i linearize that out in one stream of thoughts it's the only way to to be really reactive uh, open source software can be messy and disgusting but at least it is adapting fast to to whatever needs to be done right fiji is the most wonderful shitty piece of software <laughs> is what i often say it's there is a thing for everything. And if, if, if you would have a new tool or a new data modality, if a new microscope comes along, there will be a plugin that does something meaningful with it relatively soon. Somebody will do it. Oh. Do you hear the tower? Oh, only, okay. only vaguely. Or the, 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 okay, okay. So it's, yeah, your, your headphones are also denoising your background. <laughs> okay, that's very good. Yeah. Uh, so um, you want to react to what is needed in science because science by definition should be dynamic um, and the people that contribute are, you know they don't know each other they have a different coding style and so everything becomes a patchwork of of it's not clean right and if you accumulate in Fiji is not the youngest of softwares or in image day um, if you accumulate this many things you have something wonderful but also wonderfully diverse and while diversity can be beautiful in software development terms, it is really, really not. <laughs> it makes everything hard. And and then also funding. It's not common today to get money from our funding agencies to keep software alive. And in Germany, we slowly start. And I have no idea why I say we, I guess because I was there for the last 10 years. Um, the, the DFG now starts funding software maintenance. But that's a really, that's really, really uncommon. And I think we have to do that more in the future. Because we, we science is not anymore like, you know, you look through a, a cheap lens and, and, and observe something not new. You have to dig deeper. And if you dig deeper, everything becomes a bit more complicated. And I think the data analysis, we need some tools that kind of go with us and grow with us. And they cannot grow with us if you cannot maintain the basis of them and our OSs change and and you know there's new versions of, uh, of, of, of Windows and Mac OS 
and, and everything falls apart because it's this like bubble that we create as humans it depends on each other and is, is, is disgusting in many ways. And so it, without this funding, it will be very hard to keep digging deeper and deeper efficiently. I, I don't want to get too technical, but yes. if, if, <laughs> if you could start ImageJ Fiji today, would you use the same coding language? Ah, you put your finger on a really delicate spot. Um, so ImageJ and Fiji and also other tools are based on Java. And that was a great choice at the time. And now the whole deep learning world um, embraces Python very much. And Python is amazing for many, many reasons and disgusting for others. But it is the new thing. And it's very hard to find people that even are good Java programmers today. And it's everybody has some experience with Python. So this is exactly what I mean. See, now the world changes yeah. for some reason or another. And a lot of things we did are falling apart and, and kind of outdated slowly. Which is kind of why I was asking the question of, yeah, it, it's how do we migrate from, from using yeah, Java-based into Python-based? Because so much, well, you've, you said, so much exists in this, this, this sphere of ImageJ Fiji under, based under Java, but a lot of the new scientists, a lot of the new scripts coming are going to be coming up under Python. And they're not going to be that compatible. So yeah. do you think a second Fiji redo Fiji P for Python will come through and they'll coexist and then slowly migrate as people patch things across or duplicate things across? Essentially, this is what has to happen. Yeah, we have to redo a lot of things. And it sounds horrible, but on the other hand, um, the scientific community also rolls over, right? You get older, you die, young people come along. And, and even if it would not have to roll over to a completely different programming language, the new people that come in have to relearn everything that exists. And so relearning a lot of existing things is also not as much fun as creating something. So maybe it's not as horrible that, that, that things roll over and, and renew themselves. And also we have some lessons learned. Why is Fiji not only the most wonderful piece of software, but also horrible. Maybe we can kind of avoid some of these mistakes and starting from scratch is not always bad, is what I want to say. It, it, but, but the problem is that it requires a lot, of, a lot of time and a lot of dedication. And so we need to give people that need to do this job the opportunity to be happy in their jobs. Because, yeah, you know, ImageJ Fiji isn't just for my, it was built, microscopy was very much a foundation, foundation to that, but all sorts in the world of science use it for all sorts of things, from looking at their gel scans to their photography, obviously, it, it's yeah. now used by so many different variety of people across the, across the sciences and hobby right. as well. It's, it's so yeah. cool. And so does Python, right? Yes. Yeah, Python is used in many disciplines as well, and and uh, Napari is one of the very well-funded uh, developments in the recent years that I think has a good chance of um, becoming indispensable for many of us. Is it replacing Fiji? One has to see. At the moment, it's not this like battery included many plugins. But, but I think some people in the Napari space um, see the future um, in that very close to kind of being a feature replacement in the Python world. You yeah. have to see, it's a bit early. 
uh, to to judge yeah. if it will, will be successful. But I think it has good there's good potential. It's, a, it's evolution. It's a big evolutionary step in this case, uh, which isn't always common. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. Um, mm -hmm. So I hope you're ready for this. Are you a Actually, do you have any bad habits besides running for far too long? <laughs> oh, I'm sure, but I'm the, really the wrong person to to be asked. Do a bad habits that I know about. I quit smoking a long time ago. Yeah, I think the running is maybe the worst of it. <laughs> okay. and, and, then, and then one could say that not not being able to to have a good work life balance is maybe a bad habit. I'm not sure. I have to work on that too because I'm getting older. I noticed that I, I have to take it a bit easier maybe. I, yeah, but you said that your work is also your hobby. So I think the balance. It's true. The last two years were very stressful though. I think it's also because of the move. A lot of things change and, and you cannot only like run and do science, but you also have to take care of new insurances and all these like annoying things that come with being a human in our society. And maybe that stressed me out more. I think when this falls away, then maybe I can settle again into a homeostasis between long hours in the nap and running. Yeah, and you set up a new facility, a, a, a new lab and a facility within that lab space. And you know, you've moved to country, you've moved to countries, so the bureaucracy will be different. And there's yeah. a lot of learning when you change institutes, even within the same country. There's so much ways of working. I can imagine yeah. that's been a, quite a titanic learning curve uh, so early on as well. So I wouldn't worry about it. It, 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 it doesn't get easier, Florian. It will not get easier. Absolutely. Challenges. I, just, I just focus on the positives. Italy is an amazing country. Um, you can go in places that wherever you go, the coffee is like through the roof, exceptionally amazing. Mainly if you kind of compare to what I had in the past, the past 10 years. Um, 20 minutes by car we are in in not in the alps in switzerland we yeah. can do fantastic hikes an hour and a half and we are at the seaside i think it's the potential to work life balance is phenomenal but then let's see how i do <laughs> okay more quick fire are you an early bird or night owl i transition in growing older night owl absolutely i would have said until maybe two years ago and now i'm in a transition phase i think i will very soon be old enough to stand up early and go to bed late yeah welcome to the world <laughs> how it should be pc or mac 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 mcdonald's or burger king burger king really yes mainly since they have different fries the, uh, oh, no, it's the fries that let them down. Whopper with cheese. Insane. Oh. Enormous. Ah, oh. oh, juicy. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, beer or wine? Don't care. Flat prior. Whatever is available. Okay, Not mixing it, it though. Alcohol, yes. <laughs> is, is, is the Alcohol, answer. yes. Absolutely. I'm a good friend of Pavel Tomanchuk. I went to a very good school. <laughs> Chocolate or cheese? Chocolate. Okay. So, there you are at Woods Hole. There's going to be, there's bound to have been a tutor's dinner where everyone goes out and it'll be a nice place to eat. 
what would be the best food that's been selected for you to be put in front of you? What would be, you think, that is just wonderful. What's your favourite food? In Woodsmore or in... No, just in general. No matter where, you know what it's like. You're invited to talk, you get taken out and and you get no choice of what to eat, just put in front of you. But what would be the perfect dish that they could put in front of you? Um, a Fiorentina. Okay. You can also put it in other countries. It's like a, 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 a T-bone steak with the filet and the counter filet on the other side. Ideally, four or five centimeters tall and then brought to a very hot stone for like a few seconds on each side so that the, the inside is still essentially, yeah, only like warm, but not oh my god i start celebrating yeah <laughs> i guess that's my favorite food and then uh, um, olive oil salt pepper a bit of uh, rucola or yeah salad next to it best thing there you go for anyone who's thinking about inviting florian to talk you now know what you have to deliver what is your nightmare though what would be the worst thing they could put in front of you oh i would have many things to say as a kid, but now I'm very, I really like to experiment with food. I don't think, I, I don't think you can really fuck up. Okay, I, so I would nothing really that you would, uh, go, oh. nothing, nothing that is nightmarish. I mean, uh, there's like fish that is fatty, like shark sometimes or so, it's not the most, you know, but I, I can I guess think I can enjoy it anyway yeah who cooks at home you or your wife um very early we noticed that we cannot cook together we have to have a clear boss and like somebody that cuts and does like mm-hmm. no planning in the kitchen and for a long time we we did it 50 50 and now I turned out to be more the morning person and I make elaborate breakfasts and Gaia is usually more the evening cook. Okay. And next quick fire question, book or TV? I would really like to say book, but it would it would be a lie. TV. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with TV. So what what do you like to watch on TV? And uh, uh, what what shouldn't you admit to watching, but you secretly like? Okay, there's there's two things. Uh, I really like documentaries that are well well made. Um, but then sometimes when you are home, you just need to somehow cool your brain down to be able to sleep, and then it cannot be stupid enough. And uh, binge watching things is sometimes really fun. Right, that's, I, I'm with you on that, and actually, I'm not co- totally with you on documentaries. Do you not find documentaries really slow? and repetitive oh it really depends it really depends like okay let me find one that is really entertaining uh, search for sugarman apartheid in south africa um there is one one album that is getting bootlegged and every household has it but nobody knows who the artist is and there's just like rumors then apartheid ended one of the kids grew older is a documentary a filmmaker and and looks for who this artist is and what is this real story wonderful music really great like political backstory it makes you very interested to kind of then look about look up apartheid on wikipedia but it, it's very entertaining at the same time and it's a real life story right it's such a crazy story a whole country doesn't know 
their favorite artist that kind of defined the generation is just insane. I like it. The reality of it is what gives the appeal. So thinking of favorite artists, what's your favorite music? Oh, that's also a really mean question. I sometimes say that I have no music taste because I, I like it. I like so much, but I think it's not true because in every segment there is things I like and I don't like. So I must have some sort of taste. It's just very different. Coding <laughs> works really well. Works really well with like metal, for example. Oh. Right? Now, who was it who mentioned? Oh, one of the other guests actually mentioned someone who actually it is all computer driven music and i can't remember who i'm gonna to have to think about who that was put it on the uh, snippets at the end after this but then hey, sometimes also, you can also code really well with like with like very monotonous electronic music but it has to be like a beat because at least when i code i get in this flow state where you really kind of you know think fast and it kind of gives the pace of your thinking and love it and then for running i listen a lot of music while running and there i like it much more melodic maybe guitars yeah uh, okay what's your favorite film um i will have to think a bit longer you have to cut it out at the end uh, my favorite film Florida. i really like i really like um oh, how was it called it was about uh, um a student of music he's a drummer and there's a teacher that is very emotionally draining and brutal to him. Whiplash. Whiplash. Okay. So you like Whiplash? Um, the film. Whiplash. I like Whiplash. Whiplash, the film, is, is an amazing film because it makes a really complicated topic, the main topic, and that is how brutal can you be as a teacher and still... Yeah, I don't know. You have to watch the movie. I guess there's a reason why it's a 120-minute movie. It does not summarize well in, in 10 seconds. But it's a wonderful... Yeah, I like it. I'm really disappointed that you didn't say Ghost. Now, someone who's into pottery, surely it has to be the most famous pottery scene ever is in Ghost. Ghost is okay. But it, but every time I say that, I, that pottery is a hobby, people say, like, oh, Ghost! <laughs> Everybody knows the scene, and yeah, it's totally not my favorite movie. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking forward to the parody that you do some point and forward it onto Twitter. Yourself and your wife just on a on your pottery stool. What's your we favorite do... Christmas film? Do you have a favorite Christmas film? Um, uh, yeah, it's um, um, Die Hard. It must be Die Hard. Ah, good choice. Yeah, no, that's perfectly good. Now, you travel a lot with work, so going back to work, we, we, are, we are actually up to the, the hour, but I'm going to just indulge for just two more minutes. You travel you a lot also, around the world. You can, also cut out, you can also cut out a few of the boring things and keep below an hour. People can fast forward, huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you travel all around the world teaching on courses. You're in Portugal, you're in the US at the moment. Uh, you've obviously done quite a lot of European countries. If you could live and work anywhere in the world, where would you take your lab as a location? At the moment, I wouldn't want to leave Milano. I think there is great potential. It's untapped and it would be premature to even kind of start thinking about going anywhere else. I think it will be a fantastic place. What about um, if you retire to? If you retired, where would you like to retire to? What would be your perfect location? I, I'm, I really like um, um, the area around UNC and North Carolina. 
uh, Durham, Carborough. It's a beautiful. It's beautiful to run. Uh, people are also very friendly. I, I like it. And then the Bay Area has many downsides, but it's also extremely beautiful. So if you've been um, getting out running, what, what have you been, uh, where you've been out running, where Woods Hole at the moment? Uh, yeah, here it's a bit. You have to run um, about ten k to go to to be in an area that offers trails. So I went only one time to to this traily area because you have at least a half marathon ahead of you if you want to even reach and come back. Um, so it's a lot of road running along the sea. It's beautiful and Novska Beach, wonderful. And before I was actually visiting uh, the Bay Area, and there I did a trail run that was just so beautiful. I mean, you cannot, you can only fall in love with the with the scenery. It's, it's amazing. Great. We we are over the hour, but Florian, I'm going to be really cheeky and ask uh, the the microscopist. We're going to do a little subset of the microscopist in the future, mm-hmm. uh, I hope, which will be more subject based. And I know you're doing a lot on the light and the EM restoration image side. Uh, it'd be great if we could get you back at some point to talk more about that work and the field of image analysis in that area. So will you come back and do that subset on the microscopist? 100%. Fantastic. Florian, thank you so much for joining me today. Everyone who's watched or listened, uh, I hope you've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's been enlightening to hear what Florian gets up to outside of work as well as work. We'll hear more about his work, hopefully in the future. But also, don't forget, you can go and listen to some of the people that Florian works and teaches with, such as Anne Carpenter, Ricardo Enriquez, uh, Paul Ryder, Mark Ray, actually, as well, uh, very much in this field area. Go and have a listen to those podcasts as well. Florian, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the dash microscopists.